The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, What did Moses command you? They replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. In the house of the disciples, again, questioned Jesus about this. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And people were bringing children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning, we have a whole lot of amazing things to cover. So as we begin the beginning of Respect Life Week, and then a very important topic of marriage, and then also we have a First Communion today. Mia will be making her First Communion today. So it's just like no shortage of, of amazing things that we have today in the church. And so I'm going to say a phrase, and I think that some of you might actually know the response to this phrase. So, so, so maybe, maybe you will if you watch the same show that I did. So if I say, clear eyes, full hearts, does anybody know what the response to that would be? Is there anybody out there? Probably, I know everybody's probably shy to say it, though. So clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose is the phrase. And that comes from the show Friday Night Lights. So Friday Night Lights, as many things, started as a book. And then it was a movie, and then it was a TV show. And this is the phrase that the coach uses to pump up his players, kind of one of the themes of their, of their team. And so he yells at them, clear eyes, full hearts, and they respond, can't lose. And it's, it's an amazing, powerful thing for them in that particular moment. And the reason I bring up that show is because very much of what that show is about is about really realizing where people have sort of went wrong in their life and if they're on the right track. And there's a lot of moments of where people recognize when they've kind of done something wrong or, or they've separated themselves from somebody else. So you hear a lot of apologies and a lot of reconciliation all throughout that show. Um, people rising up to the occasion and realizing, finally coming to the conclusion and taking ownership of something wrong that they did, approaching that individual and saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, which is some of the hardest words for many human beings to say to another person. But a lot of the times, that's what happens between us, is that we have these particular rifts, and sometimes people withhold their forgiveness from another person. 
But it's so important that we realize that's completely incompatible with the Christian message. More than anything else that really Jesus speaks about in a very specific way throughout the Gospels, of course, he speaks about many specific things, moral truths and the differences in the history and the preparing of the people. But one of the particular things that he speaks about the most is the necessity of the forgiveness of sins. And of course, he even gives that power to his apostles to forgive sins throughout the gospel. And so one of the important aspects there, and we remember, we commemorate it every single time we pray the Our Father. You know, it's just that, that we forgive those, just as we are forgiven, that we forgive those who trespass against us. So if we're going throughout life holding some sort of grudge, withholding forgiveness against somebody else, that's totally incompatible with our lives as Christians. But in that show, you see this kind of exemplified time and again. And probably no more than the example between the coach, who is often saying that phrase, clear eyes, full hearts, um, and his wife. They have really kind of a great relationship through the show. But just like any spouses, you know, they have their rifts and disagreements and different, and so they're always having to kind of reconcile and figure out how to live their life well together. And so much of their lives together have been following the career of the coach, his football career. This is Texas high school football, after all, which I played. It is a crazy world in Texas high school football. It sort of can rule a whole entire community, which is basically what that show is about. And so she's followed him in many of the places that they go. But towards the later seasons of the show, there's a very important shift that happens where his wife gets an opportunity. And it's not a particular easy thing. He sort of pushes against it at first, sort of doesn't really like the idea that um, he might have to compromise something that he had always done for his wife. But ultimately, that's exactly what he decides to do. It's an unbelievable example of sacrificial love, of the love of Jesus Christ, which is what the model of spousal love is. As Christ loved his church, is the way that a, you know, a husband should love his wife. You know, and in that example right there, one thing that's happening is the same way that St. Thomas Aquinas, he defined love, and I mention this to you all a lot because I think it's a very important thing. St. Thomas Aquinas, when he defined love, he said, love is willing the good of the other. Jesus Christ wills all of our salvation. That's why he takes it up on the cross, because he wills us to be with him. In a marriage, that's exactly what the spousal bond is all about. This unitive bond is about helping each other get the ultimate good. What is the one best good that you can wish for anything, that you can will for anyone in this life? The absolute best good that you can will for anybody in this life is to someday be with God in heaven. The Lord wants every single one of us to be reunited with him in heaven, and he lays down his life on the cross. He sacrifices himself for us. Just like in that show, you see this example of eventually the husband coming to the conclusion that I need to sacrifice something of what I want for the benefit of the both of us. So spouses are trying to do that for each other. They're literally trying to help get each other to heaven. That is one of the calls that you have as spouses, those of you that are, that are married. Now, 
one of the great difficulties that we talk about here, and, you know, and one, another reminder in, in a gospel elsewhere that's very, very important and also shocking to the people at that time, is Jesus reminds them, he says, in heaven, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, people neither are given in marriage or get married. You know, marriage is not a reality in heaven. And so sometimes that kind of blows people's minds, especially when they first come across it in the gospel. The reason that that's the case is, remember, the same reason that we will, each person, be with God in heaven is because that's what we're ultimately oriented towards. Our ultimate fulfillment is being in the presence of God. Sometimes that's a little hard to say what that feels like in reality, right? It's just like sometimes we say, to be face to face with God. And we're like, uh, is that more fun than like football? <laughs> or is that more fun than this? Sometimes we compare it to the things that we love on this, in our life here, and we don't get what that is. So this is the way I describe it. Being in the real presence of God is going to supersede anything that ever made you happy on this earth by like a million fold. Just like I mentioned that St. Thomas Aquinas gave us that, that definition of love is willing the good of the other. There was a very poignant thing that happened in the life of St. Thomas. St. Thomas dies fairly young. I, I, I want to say it's his late 50s, if I remember right, like 54 or 57, something like that. But St. Thomas Aquinas is one of the greatest theologians the world had ever known. And he wrote a ton. He was so prolific in his writing that the Summa Theologia, he had like four scribes that would essentially, this is, you know, way in the 1200s, far before computers, right? They would follow him around and, and write down his dictations in rotation. That's how prolific his mind was. He was constantly thinking about the faith, and these scribes would record in rotation what he said. But towards the end of his life, he's praying in front of a crucifix, and then hears the Lord Jesus speak to him from the crucifix. And then he says to him, he says, Thomas, you have written well of me. Like, what do you desire? What do you want? St. Thomas gives the perfect answer. He says, only you, Lord, only you. St. Thomas was given a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of the beatific vision. And his response to everything that he had wrote, from which Jesus just told him he wrote well of him, was, all is straw. All is straw. He never wrote anything again in his life. The most prolific theologian that the church has ever known was never even able to bring himself to write anything else down after seeing just a tiny glimpse of what heaven is. That's how much it will supersede any happiness we ever knew on earth. That's why the greatest good we can will for one another is that each one of us in this church today and everyone out in the world would be reunited with God in heaven. And so that's why there's no necessity for marriage anymore. There's no necessity to bring forth life into the world anymore because there is no death, because you have perfect fulfillment. And what a marriage ultimately is the absolute best for is you bring, you get the gift, just like Jesus creates, and we hear that story of creation in our first reading, he gives spouses this ability to bring new life into the world, to take part in his creation. But once we're completely fulfilled with God in heaven, 
There's no reason to bring new life into the world because death has ceased and our ultimate happiness is finally fulfilled. But in that example, where he allows us to bring life into the world, we have to look at the way that he functioned all throughout salvation history. A lot of times people speak of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament or things like that. No, same God. We use a term for God as immutable, unchanging. God is unchanging. Who changed is us, humanity. Often the Israelites are kind of described sort of like teenagers in their growing up phase of life. And as such, the laws that they were given to live by were because of their immaturity in their faith. Remember the words today in the gospel. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses gave you this commandment that you can get a divorce. They were not able to handle the, the high bar of Jesus Christ yet at that time. So many parents out here today, right? When your teenagers or your middle schoolers, when they're starting to get like they're really exercising that whole gift of their free will very, very heavily and stuff. What do you often have to do? You have to place guidelines and rules in their life to help guide them. Why? Because what are you doing? You're willing their good, right? That's love. And so that's why I give this example all the time. When one of your young children wakes up in the morning and, they say, and you say, what do you want for breakfast? And they say, I would like a pixie stick for breakfast, which is, you know, a paper straw filled with colored sugar, right? No, it's like, no, you will not have a pixie stick for breakfast. You will have one of these healthy alternatives. Remember, love is not always saying yes. It's willing their ultimate good, guiding them. So in the Old Testament, the Lord has to place many laws and restrictions to separate the Israelite people from the pagan faith around them, to essentially build a hedge of protection around them. But eventually, they mature and they grow up, just like a human person. And as they grow up, and then the faith is gradually revealed to us. And so the greatest revelation that we ever know is when Jesus Christ comes on this earth in the flesh. And so when he comes to this earth, he's revealed in that way. He begins to hold a higher bar that is far above the law that was given to Moses and to the Israelites. And remember, he says, all of these things are fulfilled in these two commandments, to love God above all things and to love your neighbor as yourself. He gives him a higher bar to live by at that point in salvation history. And that's where we actually have to start moving forward. And what we realize is what is the character of God? He gives to human beings the power to bring a life into this world. And we always notice throughout the scripture that even in spite of, you know, the, the ability of a couple to not be able to bring life into the world, if they were open to it, God was able to overcome whatever the biological difficulty was, whatever the thing that was happening, and bring life into the world. Because there were many in the world that seek, seek to erase life, that are not open to life in the same way that God has always been open to life in there. We remember all of the women in the scripture, um, you know, Rebecca and Rachel and Sarah, those that were barren, those that were far beyond childbearing years, but their openness to life, it, that, that's a disposition of the heart. That's, Lord, 
I am open to your good in my life. I'm always open to the life that you have. And then they bear children in spite of a biological, what we would say a biological impossibility. Truly a miracle in their lives brings life. Remember what's happening when Herod hears about Jesus coming into the world. Remember, it was a new king coming into the world. And so what's his human fear? You know, what does Jesus also say many times? My kingdom is not of this world. Again, we're always trying to shift our reality to a heavenly kingdom. But what's Herod thinking about? He's thinking about an earthly kingdom alone. So what does he do? He commands infanticide. He commands the killing of all of these firstborn males in hopes that he would kill Jesus in the process. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the character of God the Father, is always to be open to life. He gives that power to two individuals as they become one flesh. And then what happens is you raise that child. You raise that child into the world, and then what do you give them? The hope is you give them the way, the truth, and the life. The very words used to describe who Jesus is by him in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So today, as we have a young person who receives their first communion, he's just like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life in you. And that's exactly what happens at this altar, is normal bread and wine become the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is actually how we have life in us, because again, everything about God is his openness to our lives, to allow us to live our lives so that we're reunited with him. And so to be fed by him in the Eucharist is, is literally to be in him and to follow his way, his truth, in, and his life. And so if we do that, if we can do that in our lives, if we are completely open to life, then we are open to receiving life itself within us. It's a complete like realignment of our soul. And that alignment is, is the thing that gets us to heaven. So every one of these themes goes back to that one thing, is that we belong to be with God in heaven. And that's exactly what we want to see from our lives. In that show that I had mentioned, Friday Night Lights, there's this very poignant scene where the couple, their daughter is in high school already, but then they have a newborn baby. They have a newborn baby, but they're both working and they're both just trying to figure out how are we going to take care of this little baby with our, with our work and our careers and everything like that. And, and, and the wife is very worried about it in this moment. But then the coach says to her, her husband says to her, these amazing, amazing words, referring to his little daughter, Gracie Bell. He says, that is not our burden. That is our gift. And he kisses his wife. It's one of the most amazing scenes in that particular spot right now. Even though we don't know exactly how we're going to do it, this is a gift, and God will help us do it. Some of you know my vocation story in more details than others. I was once a married man that had to go through a divorce, that had to get an annulment and go through that difficulty. Two of the most 
great difficulties that individuals can go through in their life is a divorce and also an abortion. That is why, in the same way that the Lord has mercy and forgiveness on us, like it's displayed in that show, we have to be able to bestow that same mercy in people that have a fractured life, if that's been a part of their existence, a part of their story. Because the Lord can always bring us back into his company. Now, some of the sins of our life have real consequences. And just because we're reconciled with the Lord, it doesn't mean that those consequences might not exist somehow, some way. We might still feel the pains of our sin or the difficulties of decisions we've made in our life. But that does not mean that we can't be reconciled with the Lord. And our call as Christians is to also help others who have different fractures in their life and bring them back into the Lord's company. Remember, he can always do that. He's always willing to do that. Who's sometimes unwilling to do that is us, is the hardness of the heart of human beings. That's not the way that the Lord's heart works. He wants people reconciled with him. And like I said, that was a miracle in my life. And so for, there are some of you out there, I'm sure, they are in that the position, maybe you've gotten a divorce and you're like, should I get an annulment? Should I not get an annulment? I remember even in that point in my life, I was afraid. I'm like, I have to make it. I wasn't a priest yet, remember. I had to make an appointment with the priest and tell him about one of the most difficult points in my life. I wasn't super excited about doing that, let me tell you. But I finally did it. The Holy Spirit prompted me, pushed me to do that. And remember, an annulment is not a Catholic divorce. I want you to think about the church like this. The church is one of the last bastions of hope in the world that actually cares about the state of your soul. All these priests that become canon lawyers and do these things that take on cases of annulments, they don't gain anything from that. Well, they do gain one thing, reconciling you with the church and with the Lord. But there's nothing else gained. There's no money exchanged, nothing of that. But they care about your relationship with the Lord. So the church is willing to do that, hundreds and thousands of annulment cases throughout the world, so that potentially you might be able to be married again. To resolve the situation that Jesus is talking about in this particular gospel right here, to put you in the right state with the Lord, so somebody's not in, in the state where they're actually still vowed to somebody else, but that they're free, free to marry, free to become a priest. The Lord can move mountains if we let him move mountains, but each one of us need to understand the healing that needs to take place when these things are a part of, of folks' lives, because they are realities of our lives sometimes. And one of the things that we always remember is this very last phrase when we think about children and the openness to life. We want to be able to say these same things that Jesus says. Amen, I say to you, who, do never, who does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced them, placing his hands on them. And so I just want you to remember how I started out this homily today. It's just like clear eyes, full hearts can't lose, but I'll add one thing to that. Clear eyes and hearts full of God, full of Christ cannot lose. God bless you all.